Hello, this is Curtis Edwards, Vice President of Investor Relations at Hudson Investing. Are you ready to start building your multifamily portfolio? Kent and I are excited to announce our newest deal in Spartanburg, South Carolina. This 157-unit property offers a unique chance to acquire a B-class value-add property for just $120,000 per door. This is well below replacement costs. De-risking the deal even further is a favorable loan assumption with over six years remaining at 3.73% fixed. With 50 economic development projects underway and 70,000 jobs within a 20-minute drive, the South Carolina upstate region is primed for above-average job, population, and rent growth. Don't miss out on this exclusive deal. Find the link in the description notes to learn how you can invest. If you want to just be like everybody else, we know what's going to happen if you keep doing what you're doing. I know without a doubt what's going to happen if you keep investing in your 401k and paying down your, your mortgage. It's like my parents, right? And the crazy thing is it works. It just takes a long time, right? In 40, 50 years, yeah, you'll pay off your house and your net worth will be somewhere on a million. But I see the financial profiles of thousands and there's people who get it and people who don't. Welcome to Right Around Real Estate, the show about how to passively invest like a pro. On each episode, I interview real estate experts who give their top investing advice, strategies, and tools, and I break down their insights into practical steps to avoid the pitfalls and make better investments. I want to help you passively invest like a pro. This is Ritter on Real Estate, and I'm your host, Kent Ritter. Hello, fellow investors. Welcome to Ritter on Real Estate, where we teach you how to passively invest like a pro. I'm your host, Kent Ritter, and today we've got a special guest. His name is Lane Kawaoka, and he owns 4,200 rental units and is the leader of the Hoy Deal Pipeline Club, which has acquired over $350 million of real estate by syndicating over $40 million of private equity since 2016. Lane uses his engineering degree to reverse engineer the wealth building strategies that the rich use in the top 50 investing podcast, simplepassivecashflow.com. Lane, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Kent. Aloha, everybody. Yeah, so let's start at the top. You know, Tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself and, and what made you be so passionate about passive investing. Yeah, so I started investing back in 2009. I graduated a couple of years out of college. Um, up until that point, I kind of walked this linear path that I think a lot of us walk as you know, working professionals. You're told to go to school, study hard get a professional degree and then work at that job 40, 50 years and on the on the way, buy a house to live in, have 2.1 kids or whatever. So, you know, I bought that house to live in, but as a single guy, I was working on the road all the time. I never was there. So I just decided to rent it out. You know, the, the rents were 2,200 bucks a month and the mortgage was $1,600 into a young 20 something year old kid. That was a lot of beer money. Very quickly, I realized this was my ticket out of the rat race, and that's where it all began. Oh, that's awesome. So, I mean, how'd you get from in that investment, seeing that opportunity, to starting now, podcast, a community, and just this uh, kind of ecosystem of all these different investors? Yeah, I mean, it took a lot of time, right? Like, I mean, for the first, from 2009, I bought the first property. 2015, I had around 11 single family homes. So it was just about 
saving up down payments. I, I was pretty good at saving money. I was pretty frugal back then. I'll be able to put away 50, 100 grand a year to buying rental properties. But then around 2015, I realized like what a lot of us realize as a credit investors, this is not scalable. And I kind of found the right tribe of other high net worth, other doctors, lawyers, engineers, who were kind of investing differently, right? You don't own rental properties. You're not landlord. You don't even have to deal with property management companies. You're just a passive LP partner, diversified over many different deals, different partners, different geographic areas, different business plans. And you just sit back and cash the checks, man. That's what it's all about. Yeah, right. I mean, that's a great way to invest, especially if you're focused on something that you love, right? If, you, if you're passionate about your day job, then it's a great way to continue to build wealth outside of that, right? Yeah, yeah. And if that's you, good for you, because I wasn't. I finally quit a few years back, but it took a while, right? I mean, you're trying to build up your passive streams of income so it replaces your W-2 salary so you, you feel comfortable to leave because for a lot of us, it's the golden uh, handcuffs. That's right. So you discover this world, this different type of investing, and then you take it a step further, right? You don't just stop by investing in these deals yourself. You go out and you create a community around it. You, you create a podcast, you create an investing club. So talk a little bit about, about those things and kind of what led you to, to begin to, to spread the word about these types of investments. Yeah. So in 2015, I was still sort of in the headspace of buying rental properties. Uh, you know, like, like a lot of people have this idea that they're going to get 10 in their name, 10 in their spouse's name of Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac loans, which is a little silly for a lot of us today to have that idea. But that, hey, you know, one step at a time, right? That's the progression over the years. So I, I kind of thought I was going to be heading that path. And I, a lot of my friends had been doing this since 2009. It was almost like five, six years. A lot of my friends were starting to actually see some of the changes like in my spending habits, in my finances. And they're like, yeah, you know, those that property you bought sight unseen in Birmingham, how's that going, right? You know, it's going well. And how do I do that? And as we all know, most of our friends ask us a lot of damn questions, but never do anything. Because right? it's just so easy to just blindly invest in the stock market and mutual funds. So I just got tired of it all and just started to make a podcast surrounding you know how do you buy that first remote rental property initially and you know kind of my genesis really occurred with the next couple of years where i kind of transitioned to be more of a credit investor and a lot of investors who started to do single family home remote rentals for cash flow kind of came over along with me in my journey so a lot of people i don't know how it happened but a lot of people just kind of rallied around me and we kind of created this passive investor community. I think that's great. I mean, that's awesome to be able to have a community where you can bounce ideas off of, share investments, learn from each other. What goes on in the community? Like, are you having events? How do you guys share information? How do you guys learn from each other? Yeah. I mean, we used to have in-person stuff, had an annual event in Hawaii, but with the pandemic and all, it's a little hard to do that. But then again, I mean, most of us are like really high paid professionals with families and it's really hard to go to events, right? A lot of people that are kind of in my community, they'll never go to a real estate conference because it's just a lot of time away from home and they frankly don't want to burn the vacation. So a lot of the virtual stuff we do today is kind of lined up more towards, you know, what resources, time resources that are working with. 
Gotcha. I know you have some ideas on counterculture related to, I'd say, building wealth and and the things that you invest in, and you know it's very alternative. So some of the, some of these items, you know, that you've talked about as far as rules for building wealth, things that uh, maybe most people do, but you would actually recommend folks do not do. Can you expand a little bit on on some of those items that are some of these common things you see people doing? You're saying, you know, that's really not the right way to go about it. I would say I'm passionate, but I'd say I'm pissed, right? Because this is what all the hard work and folks out there like my parents, doctorate degrees, master's degrees, and they're forced to work 40, 50 years investing in this mutual fund 401k nonsense that really only the Wall Street gets rich with all the hidden fees. And you know, I'm not a big advocate for buying your house to live in. I live here in Hawaii, but I rent. I think it's so much more value and I can arbitrage that money in my investments. Maybe someday I'll buy that $5 million house. But quite frankly, my money's working harder for me in investments. We don't do retirement accounts. I'd rather take my money out. We can kind of dig more into deep, but for tax reasons, for you know, many tax reasons and the passive activity losses that you get from deals, why would you want to be investing via retirement fund. Yeah, they say yeah, the growth doesn't tax, but when you invest out of it, you get the passive activity losses to be able to manipulate your taxes as you see fit, which you give up when you invest via retirement account. And then just generally like the whole accumulation theory that we're all taught to believe, right? Be a good little boy and girl, save up two to $4 million in your retirement accounts, and then you can live off the pile in your dying age. And that's great, but it works. It takes a lot of time. <laughs> A lot of people are picking at that pile until you get there. But in endgame, you need cash flow, right? Why not begin with the end in mind and create many streams of income today? And especially while you have a day job and you don't need to live off those streams of income, have those streams of income, buy more and more streams of income. So just a lot of counterintuitive things that the rich do that that's the layperson just doesn't, they're kind of groomed and, and I would say, you know, brainwashed to think otherwise. Well, it's the only thing that we're we're accustomed to, right? The only thing that we're we're exposed to for the most part, right? And and even your employer is put your money in your 401k, you know, and, and then in the 401k, you know, depending on who your employer is, you may have 10 to, to 30 options to invest in, but that's that's really about it, right? So this idea of of looking at real estate as an alternative asset, which is as it's defined, I think is is just kind of a funny idea and that real estate is, it's been around longer longer than anything else. It's really not an alternative at all. It's something that everybody should be investing in. And if you look at the richest people in the world, they all are, right? Like something that always amazes me is when you look at the proportions of people's portfolio and you look at whether it's large institutions like a Harvard Endowment, for example, or you look at high net worth individuals, I mean, they have anywhere from you know, maybe 20 to 40% of their allocation into real estate. And then you look at folks that are, you know, kind of just average people and most of them have zero. So when you just, when you just look at it from that standpoint, right, you going back to your point of do what the, what the rich are doing, kind of, that's what I took away at least was you just look at the portfolio allocation and the difference there. And you can see that most people are missing out if they're not diversifying into real estate. Yeah. And, and to take another lens at it, I mean, you can invest in real estate via REIT, but that's a retail product where everybody and their mother's stealing your returns from you. Right. The idea is to kind of go off of go off the retail market and go more wholesale or a little bit beaten off the path with private operators that you don't personally. 
And so you're cutting out all these middlemen and administrative costs. And how else do these you know, big buildings get created? Yeah, that, that's a good perspective. I never thought about it like that. It, it's, a, it's a retail product. And if you just think about it like any other supply chain, you go from the person who's the manufacturer to the wholesaler to the retailer, and there's there's fees and, and, and pieces of the deal taken out at each point. So, yeah, I never thought of that. Yeah, same Nike shoes, just a different price at Neiman Marcus or Macy's or That's right. eBay, right? Well, now you can say that because eBay is supposedly guarantee authentic, but not not quite. <laughs> a couple things that you hit on that I think are really interesting and, and, and really timely. One is talking about you know not investing with retirement accounts and, and the reasons why not to do that. I mean, that's something that that I, I get asked that all the time as I'm talking with potential investors and they're asking questions about, you know, sources, should I invest in a retirement account? Should it, should I not? Um, and, or what are the ramifications of that? And I know that, that it's a, a fairly complex topic, but I wanted to hear some of your thoughts on reasons why you shouldn't do that. Before you even start to dig into your retirement funds, which is sort of irreversible, right? Once you take it out, you can't put it right back. I mean, obviously, try and get at your your liquidity and then your home equity via HELOC or refinance there. But, you know, it ultimately comes down to getting at that nest egg that you were kind of blindly taught to just put into there. So four big reasons why you shouldn't be using those retirement funds. Number one, normal traditional financing is predicated on you're going to be old and then you're going to stop working your job and you're also shifting up and dying. And you're going to be in a lower tax bracket in the future. Now, that is right for most people. But personally, you and me and people listening, you guys are going to be making more money in the future. So you're going to be in a higher tax bracket in the future. So point one for taking out your money now and paying your taxes now. Number two, where is this country going, right? How else are we going to pay for all this government stimulus, right? Eventually, there's going to be more inflation, but also more taxes to pay for all this damn stuff. So I guess what I'm saying there is pay your taxes now before tax brackets go up in the future. Number three, I mean, I'm not waiting till I'm done near 65 and who knows when they get up to 70 years old to get at that money, right? I want it now because I'm going to retire. Most of us can get financially free in the next five to 10 years by doing this to our working professionals. And then lastly, you, know, you have the passive activity losses that you get from these deals and then now that you get, get these passive activity losses and you're able to offset your ordinary income via real estate professional status strategy, now you're able to manipulate how much taxes you pay. That's ultimately how you're able to micromanage your tax situation. This idea that you're going to you're gonna work and work and save and save, and then and then someday you're gonna be in a, a lower tax bracket. When you actually want to take that money out and you can just kind of live off of that savings, right? After that, that fixed pile of money and kind of hope that you die before the money runs out, right? Like, like that is the main, that's kind of like what we're sold of like how you're, how you're supposed to, to go about your life, right? And where you're supposed to end up. And when, when you, you're just talking about that, it hits such a chord for me because when I, I started investing in real estate really seriously about five years ago and as I started learning about syndications and, and these private investments and, and just the, the benefits of real estate investing in general, it was like the curtains were, were drawn back for me. And I was like, oh my God, like, what is this? 
now when you say that, like, yeah, you're just going to work really hard for 40 years and you're going to hopefully save enough to outlast your, your lifespan. Right. But that's all you get is that, that fixed set of money. Like it sounds ridiculous now, but that was how I thought. And that was how I invested. I said, okay, well, I got to put money into my retirement account, you know, and and then, yeah, one day I'll be in a lower tax bracket. Well, well, how do you get in a lower tax bracket? It means you're not making any money. And like, and, and when I started thinking about this, I'm like, oh man, like it just sounds crazy right now. And like the, to the way that I think now and how much, how much my mindset has grown of like this idea of saving versus investing, right? The saving, just putting it into an account, letting the bank use your money, but not getting any return off of it versus taking your money and really taking control and investing it and creating cash flow so that I hope I never have a year where I you know, make less money than I did the year before, right? I, I hope I never end up in a lower tax bracket. I mean, that really struck a chord for me because my mindset has shifted so far, but thinking back where I was even five years ago, it's just, uh, it's just crazy to me. Wizard of Oz behind the curtain. Yeah, right. So something else that, that you hit on, which I, which I think is super timely because we're, we're rounding around to tax time. You, talk, you talked about your passive losses and, and how you can use those effectively to build wealth or, or at least keep wealth. Can you expand on that a little bit? Because I think that's a, a question that a lot of listeners have is how do taxes play into real estate investing? Yeah. So I don't pay taxes because I, I have so much losses. It offsets my income. Yeah. So how does that work? How can other people get to that point? I mean, obviously I let my CPA do all this stuff. I mean, y'all should be empowered to figure out this stuff on your own to get the, the CPA just does the paperwork for you. But yeah, essentially you have kind of two types of income for the most part. You have ordinary income, which is derived from your W-2 salary or any kind of active stuff like stocks and trading, capital gains there. And you have more passive income, right? Two different colors of money. And you also, when, you, when you're in these syndicated deals that are big enough to do a cost segregation to extract out all the bonus depreciation losses, you're getting passive activity losses, we'll call them PALs for short, but they're sort of the ancillary with the passive income. So as you have passive income gains from an asset or a deal or syndication or rental, you can use those passive activity losses to offset those gains. You cannot offset ordinary income, such as your W-2 salary, unless, unless you're a real estate professional status and then you could drop those barriers, right? There's a few kind of hoops and things that get around there, but essentially that's the high level that you need to kind of understand first. Yeah, I think that that's the key point, right? Is this idea of using the depreciation from your investments to be able to shelter some of those taxes and be able to Again, just just keep more of your money, right? And and there are strategies, like you said, educate yourself on of of how you can continue to do that. But it's amazing how how many real estate investors, when you talk to them, say exactly what you said. Say, I don't pay any taxes. I don't know if there's any other profession or any other any other investment strategy where people can say that. I mean, it's all, I think almost everybody I talk to that is really a professional investor says the same thing. So I, I think it's just an incredible aspect. I don't particularly like real estate. I like how it's a hard asset and cash flows. But for some strange reason, the government really incentivizes the heck out of buying real estate. Maybe it's because we don't have all these like big housing programs and they need to incentivize folks like us to go out and create workforce housing or housing for regular folks. I don't know. I don't care. But I just go with what, what the IRS code says and I just kind of 
do the best practices that you find from working with other high net worth accredited investors that are kind of doing the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, that that's awesome, right? Just understand the landscape and work within the landscape that you're given, right? Yeah. I mean, why fight it, man? Like you mentioned a couple of times, you know, like the the lessons that you've learned from other investors. I know you have your own podcast where you're hosting a lot of experienced investors. What are some of the things that you've learned along the way? Like what are some some tips or some things to avoid that you can share with our listeners? It's a lot of like the mistakes of not to do, right? I mean, it, like, like in personal development, a lot of times you realize like you, you're running around with the Ferrari with the handbrakes on, right? And it's a lot of the stuff that I'm sure you, can, you guys kind of talk about a lot. But I think that what I see a lot of times is people get it. They may be investing in some deals here and there, but they're only investing 10% of their net worth, right? Like to get, you know, every dollar you have is essentially a soldier for you doesn't need to be in a development deal making 20% on your life per year. doesn't need to be in a real stable triple net deal at 10%. But I think most people have a vast majority of their wealth doing jack, right? It's kind of like a soldier back in the barracks, smoking pot, playing cards, right? Let's get them like digging some holes or something. You don't need to be on the front lines. It essentially comes down to your weighted average of your return on equity, even though you might have some money and some deals, well, good for you. But what is the weighted average of all your network? Is it all working for you? Is it collectively working harder than you? And maybe that just takes time, right? Most people, most accredited investors, they'll try out a sponsor and go into a few deals here or there. You know, this is not a get rich quick thing. A lot of these deals, it takes three to five years to really see that refinance so that the, the full cycle happen. So I get it, right? But, you know, to really kind of move the needle, it's a slow process, but you got to kind of move the needle into, you know, getting all your money into making 10, 20% range. So what do you tell people when you, when you talk to people, you come across someone who's done it the traditional way and, and kind of understands that, that there's other ways out there, but says, man, that seems really risky. What I've been taught is put it in my 401k and do this and do that. I mean, what do you, what do you tell those people when you, when you have your first conversation with them? How, how do you help them? you know, understand the process or understand the benefits? Well, I don't talk to people anymore. I have them just go through a bunch of automated stuff these days. And it, it's all free out there, right? It's all podcasts and blogs. It's all out there. I mean, it's all the red pill of finance. Go educate yourself, right? Like if you want to just be like everybody else, we know what's going to happen if you keep doing what you're doing. I know without a doubt what's going to happen if you keep investing in your 401k and paying down your, your mortgage. It's like my parents, right? And the crazy thing is it works. It just takes a long time, right? In 40, 50 years, yeah, you'll pay off your house and your net worth will be somewhere on a million. But I see the financial profiles of thousands and there's people who get it and people who don't. Let's take like a doctor, right? Because it's just everybody kind of knows how much they make. And most times they're kind of bad with their money because they make so much money. So there's a lot of holes in their, their game. But Doctors, they typically, you know, if they're not alternative investing using all these strategies of the wealthy, they're probably net worth around a one, 1.5, maybe $2 million if they're really like white knuckle, like frugal, like cheap old kind of guy. But the guys doing this the right way, their net worths are all four, eight, $12 million and above. It is night and day. You're giving proof points on, look, here's one strategy and here's the other, and here's where one guy is and here's where the other guy is. 
Yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm tired of it all. Like, like, look, everyone's like, oh, I got my financial planner. I got, you know, my dad told me how to do this. Like, well, good job for you, right? Like, I think that's the golden rule. It's like, don't take any financial advice from somebody who hasn't done it before and who's not financially free. Like, why would you want to take financial advice from, like, the old guy at, at work, Cliff and Larry, on how do you, like, you know, sharpshoot your 401k? That's like the absolute worst person I would take advice from, right? I mean, maybe I'm jaded because I don't work in that. I don't work around those types of people. I don't interact with those types of people anymore. There's so much like bad information out there. Go to roll. Don't take financial advice from people who are not financially free. Well, and I'll take it a step further. Don't take financial advice from people that are uh, financially incentivized to give you certain pieces of advice. Right. right. Like financial planners <laughs> who get paid a percent commission off selling you more garbage investment. Right. Like if you're if you're selling mutual funds and you're getting a load on the front end, that person is incentivized to put you into specific things, not necessarily the things that are going to be the best for you. You kind of mentioned like the the curtain pivot point for you. For me, it was like maybe about a year or two in of this. Like I think this is around 2011. I had a rental property for a couple of years and I kind of saw the month to month what was happening. And when you break it down, you're making money with tenants paying down your mortgage instead of us, right? So we're getting the equity build up there, we're getting tax benefits, we're getting the cash flow and the appreciation leverage. When you add those all up, I mean, even on a crappy rental, that's not even that great, you're making like 30% on your money. I mean, I have a, like a whiteboard of when I do this, if you don't believe me, but I was kind of like, well, how am I making like 30% on this rental property? Granted, not scalable, but how am I going to make it like 8% in this 401k thingamajigger? Like, where did all my money go, right? And then I started to realize, well, everybody just bought a few rentals and yeah, paid them down after time, which I don't necessarily agree with as the best use for your return on equity. You'll be financially in like a decade and like, you wouldn't like then like who would design our bridges and construct buildings and get our coffee like society would stop so there's a big reason why we need people to keep investing in their 401ks and paying down their freaking houses so that they can keep working and doing these city services for us so we can live financially free and do check and but hopefully make the world a little better right take the money and, and do be good stewards of it obviously but like most people, if you gave them a gazillion dollars, they do nothing. Yeah. If they didn't have to work, I have this idea of like, you know, if you're, if you're financially free, you're not tied to, to a job that you don't like, you can go out and you can, you can pursue whatever you want. And if everybody's pursuing what they want, then ultimately we'll, we'll all be better off. Right. Because it's like your highest and best use. Yeah. As the rainbows and sunshine and sheeps flying in the sky People are gonna find their passion and it's gonna be lead to the greater good because they're so passionate and they're good at it. I just don't believe in that type of stuff. I think some people will, but most people will not. Fair, fair <laughs> enough, you know? I yeah. mean, I you think wanna, that- Yeah, you wanna call me a communist? Whatever, man, that's you guys. But like, I just don't believe that that utopia society works. Right? Yeah. We need, no, I, we need I to create a system it. that creates people to kind of trade time for money. The way that the system is built, right? It, it's built in a way to make sure that people continue to stay in this mechanism, in this machine, 
right? Trading time for money and doing these things that they wouldn't want to do if they didn't have to work, right? Even, even if you didn't have to work and what you wanted to do was just sit around, like you said, right? If you had a zillion dollars, it goes back to our point of like opening up the curtain, getting off the machine, taking matters into your own hands for your own financial future, educating yourself, right? You've hit on that several times. You got to go out, you got to educate yourself. I think you and I both did that. Spent a lot of time on self-education and personal growth and, and figuring out how all this works and networking with other people that are doing it, right? You've got to do all those things if you want to get to the point. But I think like you said, which I agree with is if you do those things, almost anybody can be financially free in five to 10 years. If you follow the plan and you, and you do the process, which, which to contrast, again, the proof points, right, against the 401k and, and, and working for 40 years, you can get financially free there. You're just, you're going to be 65 years old and you're going to be retired and you're going to be living off of fixed income. Different paths. Right. And I talk to a lot of like successful entrepreneurs and those are the geniuses, right? The hardware engineers, the lawyers, the doctors, those are the geniuses, I think. This real estate stuff is probably the the best risk-adjusted return that you can get out there. Anybody can do this real estate stuff, right? especially as a passive investor. That it's, It really is an endgame strategy. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So one other thing that, that I wanted you to touch on is your three rules for investing. Before I let you go, I want people to hear what are the things that you look at as you're looking at investments. So this is like kind of goes out to the people that always play stump the chump, right? Like, oh, what do you think about Bitcoin, right? Or what do you think about like buying basketball sports cards? Right? Yeah. Well, here yeah. are the three rules. So I don't have to keep repeating myself, right? You can run it through these rules. Like number one, it's got a cash flow, right? Positive income mm-hmm. on a month-to-month basis. Warren Buffett says something about not losing money. Well, this is how you ensure that. Right. Number two, it's got to be a hard asset. Right. So real estate's a hard asset. It's actually like a mixed commodity, right? Which is awesome. It's diversified. It's not just one asset like gold. Yeah. Bitcoin, I mean, yeah, you could probably consider it a hard asset in a way. It's kind of a currency, but it doesn't cash flow. And the and the third rule is like, is this something that is leverageable? Mm-hmm. Where I mean, yeah, there might be a futures exchange for Bitcoin and stuff like that or something like that in the future and it probably is i just don't care about it but you know real estate hits all those three marks one thing is like some people they always like are jack of all trades but i focus on one thing not only in real estate but in a certain sector of real estate multifamily apartments office space mobile home parks i focus and i put on the blinders no i don't care about assisted living facilities that's just a bunch of noise to me right i focus on one thing or one sector and I get good at it. Then I move over to the next thing. Awesome. That's the way you master anything, right? You can't be great at everything. So I appreciate that focus. Before I let you go, I want to hit our keys to success section. So what is one question that every investor should be asking their deal sponsor? I would say don't talk to the sponsors. To me, it's just a waste of time because any sponsor can just talk to you on autopilot they already know what you want to hear they're just going to tell you the damn thing focus your time on connecting with real passive pure investors the only way you're going to do that is 
build organic relationships. Nobody in this world is going to just give you the spreadsheet of all the people they worked with in the past and the ROIs and who was bad. That ain't going to happen. I mean, it's going to take some time and energy to build that organic relationship. Definitely. What's one way that folks can start doing that? I just know like going to the local RIA, free to meetup groups and the old um, free internet forums is the wrong place to go because it's just a bunch of broke guys out on that stuff. Yeah, my my experience is it's a, it's a lot of wholesalers that wanted to sell me yeah. houses. That was, that was who I met. Of, just a lot of waste of freaking time. So what are you most proud of in your career? Uh, I quit my day job and now I'm helping people quit theirs. I mean, it's it took me 12 years and I did made a lot of mistakes along the way, worked with some bad people, paid down debt in the process. I could have got there a little faster, but hey, I'm here, you know, and you're there, man. I learned of some of the mistakes and it's very repeatable. And now you're teaching others how to do it. That's awesome. So what books should everybody read? I'm not a big fan of books, but I think they should meet, read Millionaire Real Estate Investor by Gary Keller. There's a lot of fundamentals of like where, what markets to buy or what are good tenant profiles and stuff like that. But after that, I mean, just go analyze deals. Gotcha. And then lastly, what is your number one key to success? Executing, figuring out what the next thing to do and execute it to completion. I think a lot of people just, just they get scatterbrained and become jack of all trades, but at the end of the year, they didn't really accomplish anything. Yeah. I think that's great advice. You know, you can move forward, uh, you know, a million miles in one direction, or you, you can move one mile in a million directions, right? You can't, you can't do both. So. Right. What is it? Work equals force times distance. Well, you're the engineer now. Now, now you're going above my head. I have to go back you're to high school for that circles. One. Yeah. I guess that is sort of work, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, very good. Awesome. Well, Lane, thanks for sharing your knowledge today and your perspective. If people want to learn more or hear more from you, how can they get a hold of you? Check out my podcast at Simple Passive Cashflow. If you guys are looking to buy rental properties, I would say the first few podcasts were about remote rentals, but I've kind of moved off and talked about more credit investor stuff lately. But yeah, email address lane at simplepassivecashflow.com. Lane, once again, thank you, sir. It's been a pleasure talking with you and uh, I hope we get to do it again soon. Yeah, cool, Kent. Have a good rest of the day. Thanks for listening to another great episode of Ritter on Real Estate. Hit the subscribe button to make sure you don't miss out on the content that will make you a better investor. Also, visit kentritter.com for articles, videos, and tools curated just for passive investors. Until next time, this is Kent Ritter with Ritter on Real Estate. Now go out and invest like a pro. 